testing.
Good morning and welcome to Zion on this uh, beautiful Lord's Day morning. If you're visiting with us or joining us on live stream, we're so glad that you are here and uh, pray that we would all be blessed as we worship the Lord together. Uh, if you have looked at the bulletin already, uh, you know that there is a lot in there. There are a lot of announcements. Um, I wanted to zero in on a few of them. Uh, the dinner for eight groups are going to be shuffling up this week. Uh, if you weren't part of the first round, but you would like to be part of it now, uh, you can sign up this morning in the fellowship hall. This is a great way to get to know people, great way to have fellowship outside of church on Sundays. And so if you weren't part of the first go around, you can sign up today and be part of that when they start up again soon. Uh, also, if you would be willing to be a, a point person or point couple for the groups, uh, we need people to kind of spearhead each group. Uh, if you would be willing to do that, you can sign up uh, in the fellowship hall. That doesn't mean you have to host it every time, uh, but we are in need of people to do that. Uh, if you were a point person for this first round and you're willing to still do it, uh, please sign up on that sheet as well so we know that you're willing to continue with that. Uh, the memorial service for Herman Prinz is this Wednesday at 11 a.m. here at Zion. Uh, we are in need of some people to provide uh, either salad or cookies for that, for the lunch that day. There's a sign-up sheet for that in the fellowship hall. Uh, our condolences to the family of Rena Swear. Uh, Rena went to be with the Lord this past Wednesday. Uh, the memorial service for her is, uh, at this point, scheduled for Saturday, October 21st. Also, on that same day, October 21st, is Main Street Day. I've, I've talked about this a couple of times. We're going to have a booth there. We do need some people to man the booth, three different shifts, if you are willing to help with that. Uh, it's a, a great outreach opportunity just to let people know who we are, and we're going to have flyers and pens and other things to give out. Uh, but if you would be willing to be part of that, uh, there's a sign-up sheet for that in the fellowship hall. Uh, next Sunday, no Sunday school classes. We will be having a fellowship lunch. And I haven't had one of those for a while because of the summer break, but would encourage all of you to come to that. Uh, we do need some people in terms of uh, setup and cleanup and all that stuff, and you can find a sign-up sheet for that also in the fellowship hall. Uh, let me talk a little bit about today. There's, there's a number of things that, that are going on here today. First of all, uh, Pastor Tom and Sarah Brown and their daughter Amelia are here with us from South Dakota. Uh, Tom and Sarah and Amelia are back there, so Tom's going to stick his hand up. Um, they're with us today. Uh, Tom is here to candidate for our open position of uh, pastor, director for student ministries. Uh, we're going to have the opportunity this morning after the service to get to know Tom a little bit better. Uh, we're going to have a Q&A session here in the sanctuary after the service is over. Uh, classes, Sunday school classes, some of them will meet. So I think three-year-old up through sixth grade classes will still meet. The rest of us will stay in here for however long that is, maybe 20 minutes or so. Uh, give you an opportunity if you have questions. Uh, Tom can share a little bit about his background and, and his life story, uh, but that will be this morning. Uh, tonight, the junior high and senior high groups will have a game night. Uh, Pastor Tom will be at that. That'll be a chance for our young people to get to know him. Uh, Brian and Teresa Eschen are hosting a missionary at their house this afternoon from South Africa, uh, Charles Fun Vake. Did I get it right? Okay, perfect. Um, so Charles is here. Uh, if you'd like to know more about his ministry in South Africa, you can go to the Eschen home this afternoon, I think 1230 to 230. Food is provided, so uh, go hungry and they'll feed you. 
Uh, young adults also meet, correct, Brian and Teresa, at your house tonight, and Charles will be there for that as well. So that's going on. A lot going on today, um, a lot in the bulletin, so just uh, take note of all the stuff that's happening and uh, areas that you want to serve or get involved in, uh, sign up for those. I'm going to ask all of you to stand with me as we have a moment of silent prayer, and we ask the Lord uh, to bless our service this morning, so let's bow together before him. Heavenly Father, we pray that our worship today would honor and glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 34 is our call to worship. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Uh, that is why we are here this morning, ultimately, to come together, to magnify, to exalt the great name of our God and Savior, and he greets us, and so receive the greeting of our God and King, grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Let's sing together number 227, familiar hymn, How Great Thou Art, will sing stanzas one, three, and four, and let's remain standing as we sing.
Please take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah is one of the minor prophets. It's the second to last book of the Old Testament, right before the book of Malachi, so it's pretty easy to find, Zechariah chapter 3. Uh, We'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Once again, by way of reminder, this time in our service is uh, taken as an opportunity to uh, remember and to rejoice in that our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our efforts. Our hope is in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And so Zechariah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. The Christian college that I went to uh, had an event that would happen typically two times a year, once in the the fall semester, once in the spring semester. And it was called, uh, get your roommate a date. And so uh, everybody would be tasked with finding a date for their roommate, and you would always want to find them a good date because you knew what they would do back to you if you didn't do that. And so uh, I think it was my sophomore year that uh, we had get your roommate a date coming up, and my roommate had found someone for me, and I had found someone for him, and we were going to pick these girls up, I think at 5.30. The dorm that they were in was right next to our dorm, and so... We got ready, and, and it was about 5 o'clock, and, and my roommate and I were sitting there, and we said, you know, we have, some, we have some library books we need to return. We should go do that before we go pick these girls up. So we, we went up to the upper campus, and we went to the library and dropped off our books, and it was about 5.10, and uh, we looked at each other, and we said, you know, we're kind of thirsty. Why don't, we, why don't we run to the cafeteria? We can skip the food line. We can go grab something to drink, and then we can go pick these girls up. So... We went to the cafeteria, we, we skipped the food line, we started to go towards the, the drinks, and all of a sudden I felt a hand on my head. Most of you know I hate mayonnaise. Most of you know it's uh, one of my phobias. Unbeknownst to me, a friend of mine, a girl who was tall enough to do this on the volleyball team, came up behind me with a handful of mayonnaise put it on my head, and then proceeded to basically rub it into my face. Up my nostrils went this mayonnaise, dripping onto my shirt went some of this mayonnaise. And if you've ever gotten something in your nose before, like food, you know what happens, you just can't get rid of the smell. My gag reflex is like working right now, thinking about this, but it was, it was all over. And my first thought was, I'm supposed to go pick this girl up in like 15 minutes. 
I can't go looking and smelling like this. Thankfully, there was enough time. We, we ran back and we, I showered and changed and all that. The, the point of the story is I was not dressed to go on that date. One day, all of us will stand before God. How will you be dressed on that day? What will you be wearing on that day? If you are trusting in your own righteousness, if you're trusting in your own good works, I can tell you you're not ready. You're not ready to meet God dressed in those filthy garments of your own sin. Your only hope is the hope that Joshua found in this passage, and that is to be dressed in a righteousness outside of yourself, a perfect righteousness. And I say to you again with, with the utmost of seriousness, if you are trusting in your own good works and your own church membership or whatever it might be, something you've done or accomplished, you're not ready. You're not prepared. Children, your only hope and my only hope is to be dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. Just as I wasn't prepared that day with mayonnaise all over me, we are not prepared to stand before God in our own sin. Our only hope is to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be clothed in his perfect, spotless righteousness. That is our hope. That is the message we proclaim here at Zion, that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's our hope. That's our joy. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made him who knew no sin, children, that's talking about Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's this wonderful, amazing exchange that the filth of our sin is taken away. It's, it's placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in, in exchange, we are given his perfect obedience, his perfect record. And now as the Heidelberg Catechism says, those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God, God views us as if we had never sinned, as if we had never even been sinners, as if we had been as perfectly obedient as Jesus was obedient for us. And so let this passage from Zechariah remind you this morning of your hope, reminds you that, that our only hope is to be dressed in the righteousness of Christ. And, and to find joy in that and to rest in that and to worship God and to thank him with joy in your heart for what he's done for you. We're going to sing number 277, Before the Throne of God Above. It's a beautiful hymn that uh, echoes a lot of what I just said, that again, our hope is Christ. When, when Satan comes to you and says, you're a lousy Christian, God doesn't want you in his family. You look at Jesus and you remember that he is your righteousness before God. And so let's sing the three stanzas and let's stand as we sing.
Before we to, I'm on now. Before we pray, I'd like to welcome uh, a new member here at Zion, uh, Joan Van Veldhuizen, all the way in the back. If you would stand up, uh, Joan, welcome officially. We're so glad that the Lord has brought you here, and we pray that. Uh, we would have a long and blessed relationship that we would be a blessing to you and that you will be a blessing to us. And so, Joan, welcome. Great to have you here. You may be seated. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is, a, it is an amazing realization to understand that you the infinite God of the universe, the creator of all things, the king over all, that you truly love us with a love that is everlasting. We pray, Lord, that that we would be a congregation that is joyful, a congregation that, that loves you and worships you for all that you have done for us. We pray that we would be a congregation that is faithful to your word, that is faithful to your calling, is faithful to the calling not only to worship you, but, but also to love and to serve one another, the calling to, to preach the whole counsel of your word, the calling to take the good news of Christ into our world. Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. We pray that you would give all of us the, everything we stand in need of so that we would honor and glorify and live for you. We thank you for the privilege of being able to welcome Joan as a new member this morning. We pray that we as a congregation would be a blessing to her, and we pray that you would use her as well to be a blessing to us. We pray for those among us who are suffering, and we ask that you would strengthen and comfort and encourage them. We ask that you would use us, Lord, to be a blessing to those in need. We pray for those who are anxious, who are fearful, who are downcast, that you would comfort them with your presence. We pray for the family of Rena Swear as they mourn Rena's passing. We thank you, Lord, that her earthly suffering is over. We thank you that she is with you. We pray that you would comfort us with the hope that we have as Christians, a hope that is certain, a hope that has been secured for us by Christ. As we give this morning for tuition relief at Ripon Christian, we pray that you would continue to bless the school. We lift up the school board, the administration, the teachers to you. We ask that you would give them wisdom and joy in their service. We pray for all of the students, Lord. We pray that you would bless them in their studies, bless them in all of their extracurricular activities. We pray that even from a young age, they would live for you and seek to glorify you in all that they do. As we study your word this morning, we pray that you would help us to understand the significance of our passage, help us to see Jesus, and may our love for you and our thankfulness for your grace to us grow as a result of this time. We thank and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. We now give to Rip and Christian tuition relief, and that offering will now be taken.
Thank you, Teresa, and thank you to our choir. Glenn, thank you for the uh, offertory duo. It was more of a solo, but it was a duo. God is uh, the king of creation, choir just sang. Uh, God is transcendent, he is majestic, he is exalted, he is holy, uh, but he also loves us and he is also with us and he will always keep us in his love. And uh, we're going to sing of that now, I think. Glenn, Glenn moved. I, are we still going to sing? <laughs> I, I thought maybe the organ was going to play by itself again. <laughs> you, you wanted to see your granddaughter. That's, grandkids are very important. Um, we're going to sing number 531. 531 is the hymn, Nearer, Still Nearer. And uh, it, it's a reminder that the Lord always keeps us in his love. And we're going to see that this morning as we, we study Noah's Ark. Uh, again, we just heard that God is the king of creation. That's true. But, but God is also our God. He's a God who loves us and the God who will always keep us in his love. So we're going to sing all four stanzas of 531. We'll sing stanza four a cappella, but let's stand as we sing.
invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. Last week we began our series on favorite Bible stories by looking at the account of creation in Genesis chapter 1. And today we are going to look at the story of Noah's Ark. And before we read Genesis 7, um, let me set the context for us, just a reminder of what's going on here in Genesis 7. Uh, Genesis 6 tells us that this was a time when there was great evil upon the earth. It was a tremendously wicked time. And because of this continual uh, perverse wickedness, God determined that he would bring judgment upon this world. And children, you remember that, that God determined he would bring judgment upon this world through a flood. And, and you remember what happens at that point. God tells Noah to build an ark, a really big ark, 500 feet long, 85 feet wide, 50 feet high with, with three decks. And, and through this ark, Noah and his family would be saved from the flood. In addition, you remember God tells Noah to, to bring a pair of every kind of animal onto the ark as well as enough food for his family and for all of the animals. And, and notice, if you have your Bible open, notice how chapter 6 ends in verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And that brings us now to chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household." For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground." And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth." In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life and those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, 
all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. On December 26, 2004, a devastating earthquake that was 9.1 on the Richter scale struck the west coast of Indonesia. Many of you remember when this happened. The result of that earthquake was a tsunami that brought great, massive destruction. Listen to some of the numbers from that tsunami. The waves reached up to 100 feet in height. Children, to compare that, the, the top of this steeple is about 45 feet high. 100 foot high waves. The waves traveled as fast as 500 miles an hour, which is the speed of a, a 747 airplane. Tsunami hit 14 different countries. It killed an estimated 230,000 people. It was one of the deadliest natural disasters in recorded history. That pales in comparison to what happened here in Genesis 7. On that day, no one survived. Now, we've heard this story from the time we were little, if we grew up in the church. We're very familiar with it. We've seen the flannel graphs of Noah and the ark, and we've seen cartoon images. We've, we've seen it, we've heard it, we've read it. But you have to let, in a sense, the, the devastation hit you. On that day, no one survived. Except for Noah and his family and, and the animals that were with them on the ark, all of the birds, all of the livestock, all of the beasts, and all human beings died. Now, my purpose this morning is, is not to examine the historicity of the flood. My purpose is, is not to ask the question, did the flood really happen? Was it, was it really a, a worldwide flood or was it a local flood? We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Just like last week in connection with creation and evolution, there, there are good resources out there if you want to study the, the historicity of this event. But, but here's my take, very brief take on the historicity of the flood. God tells us it happened. And so it happened. God doesn't lie. God tells us that this really happened and it really did happen. My, my purpose with you this morning is, is to work our way through this passage and, and some Bible translations translate it. Come, come into the ark. I think that's a better translation. And, and children, if, if someone were to tell you come, they're usually asking you to come where they are, right? If someone says to you and motions with their arm, come over here, they want you to come where they are. I raise this because is it possible that in using this word, in God saying to Noah, literally, come into the ark, 
Is it possible that God is reminding Noah of his presence? Is it possible that that God is saying to Noah, Noah, I will be with you. Come into the ark. You know, Noah had, had no idea. And his family, they had no idea what they were about to experience. Scholars are somewhat divided over whether or not Noah had seen rain at this point, but, but there's no doubt that, that Noah had no idea what a flood was. And yet God is saying, I will be with you. That's a great thing for you to remember. It's a great thing for me to remember. God is always with us. Christian, you, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what next month will bring. You don't know what next year will bring. You don't know what lies in the future. But you do know, you can know, that God is always with you. And so just in this little command, come, we we see, don't we, the, the comfort that this would be for Noah. We could see Noah and his family saying, you know, we we don't know what this is going to be like. We don't know what's going to happen, but we do know that the Lord is with us. By the way, this this command, come, is also a reminder to us that God's commandments are good. God does not intend to harm us in his commands. You know, sadly, there are There are people who view God's commands that way. God is a a cosmic killjoy. God intends to rain on my parade. God doesn't want me to have any fun. And so he gives me these commands. But brothers and sisters, God's commands are for our good. They are for our benefit. They are for our safety, our protection. And it is in obeying his commands that we find our greatest joy, our greatest happiness is when we follow God's good commands. Now there's another command here at the beginning of chapter 7. Notice verse 2. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. Uh, the question is, is often asked, you know, how could, how could Noah possibly have fit all these animals on the ark? You, you've heard skeptics say that before, right? They, they say there's no way the flood is a true story because there's no way Noah could have put all of those animals on the ark. Well, I want you to think about a couple of things. First of all, the Bible doesn't say that, that Noah took fully grown adult animals onto the ark. In addition, Noah probably didn't bring marine animals on the ark. And, and second, remember, remember the dimensions that I gave you earlier about the ark. Children, the, the ark was massive. The ark was, was huge. It was 500 feet long. It was 85 feet wide. It was 50 feet high. That means that the ark had approximately 2 million cubic feet of cargo space. That's big. In fact, experts say there was so much cargo space on the ark that you could fit 450 semi-trailers into the hull of the ark. That's a lot of space. And so God gives the command. Noah, come into the ark. You, your family, the animals. And in seven days, I'm going to send rain for 40 days and 40 nights. 
Well, the second part of this passage is Noah's response. Children, you know that, that Noah was a faithful follower of God. Noah was a godly man. Verse 1 tells us that he was a righteous man. Now, that doesn't mean that, that he had himself earned righteousness before God. It, it doesn't mean that, that he had earned God's favor through his own performance. But it means that, that Noah trusted God for his salvation, just like you and I are called to trust God for our salvation. Noah knew that God was his righteousness. And, and Noah was a faithful follower of God. And, and notice what a faithful follower of God looks like. Verse 5 tells us, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Now we know that Noah was a sinner. We know that Noah was not a perfect man. By God's grace, Noah had, had recognized his sin. He was trusting that only God could save him. He was trusting God for the righteousness that he needed to stand before God. But, but notice, Noah doesn't say, well, you know, now that I'm good with God, I can do whatever I want. I can live my life my way. God and I are good, and so I can do whatever I please. Notice that Noah's response to God's unmerited favor was a life of obedience. His, his faith, his trust in God led Noah to act. It led Noah to obey. This is what Hebrews 11 tells us about Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. This is the consistent theme of Scripture. True faith leads to fruit. True faith leads to obedience. Many of you are familiar with James chapter 2, verse 14, where James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The point is that true faith, Living faith will produce fruit. Noah showed the reality of his justification by his obedience to God's command. He did what God told him to do. We also are the people of God. We are also his covenant children. And, and that should be our desire as well. I mean, think about, think about what God has done for you. Children, think about this. God loves us with an everlasting love. And it's a love that he, he set on us before the foundation of the world. In fact, the theologian Gerhardus Voss is famous for having said, the, the way that we know God's love will never end is that it never began. God set his love on you in eternity past. God in Jesus Christ has forgiven you all of your sins. God has clothed you with the perfect spotless righteousness of his son. God has given to you the gift of the Holy Spirit. God has promised you that you're an heir of eternal life. 
And, and there's so much more that could be said, but you, you think about all these things, they pile up and, and, and we say, what, what spiritual blessings are ours? How richly we have been blessed as God's people. And, and therefore, our desire out of gratitude for the Lord's grace to us should be to do what he tells us to do. Now, we all know that that's not always easy. That will not always be easy. There are times when, when obeying God means going against the crowd, going, children, against what the popular kids may say. There are times when it is difficult. I, I, I can't imagine that Noah was very popular when he was building the ark. I, I can imagine people saying, look at that fool, what is he doing? What a waste of time. There are times when, when obeying God means that we have to give something up. I imagine that Noah had to give something up. If Noah had a house, he had to leave it behind. If Noah had possessions, he had to leave them behind. If Noah had friends, he had to leave them behind. Obedience to, to God's commands is not always easy. But it's always worth it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Children, obedience is not always easy, but it is always worth it. Noah shows the reality of his faith by obeying God and following God's commands. And now we come to God's judgment. Noah and his wife and his three sons, his three daughters-in-law, all the animals, they go into the ark. And I want you to notice what it says at the end of verse 16. And the Lord shut him in. God shut the door. God shut the door. God secured the ark so that Noah and his family would be safe. And after, after seven days, verse 11 tells us, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. And for 40 days and 40 nights, rain falls upon the earth. We lived in Washington State for a number of years. And if you've ever been to Washington before for any length of time, you, you know that uh, Washington, especially the west side of the state, gets a, a steady amount of rain. I, I think the estimates are it rains like 170 days a year in Washington. Typically, though, it's not a, it's not a hard driving downpour. There's just a lot of gray, drizzly days. This isn't a drizzle in Genesis 7. This is a lot of rain. And notice the impact of all this rain. Verse 19 the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. All of the mountains, children, are covered with water. Water is so high that it's 22 feet, that's 15 cubits, 22 feet above the highest mountain. Now for a long time, Skeptics have laughed at this. You can read literature, you can watch lectures, and, and for a long time, people have said, that's ridiculous. There's simply not enough water on earth 
for there to be this worldwide flood. I used to work with a guy who, who said that thing, the very thing he said that to me. He said, that's one of the reasons I reject the Bible and I reject Christianity is because this story about a worldwide flood is absolutely ridiculous. No way you could have a worldwide flood. I want you to notice something in verse 11. There's a little phrase in the middle of that verse. It says, all the fountains of the great deep. Several months ago, I, I told you all something, and I'm going I'm to say it to you again, that, that recently, scientists discovered something very interesting. Scientists discovered that there is a massive supply of water underneath the Earth's crust. And scientists have discovered that this supply of water is three times bigger than all of the water in all of the oceans. There's a massive supply of water deep inside the earth's crust. In other words, the fountains of the great deep, just as we are told here in Genesis chapter 7. My point is that the Bible speaks with 100% accuracy. What it says you can trust. When God says he sent a worldwide flood, he sent a worldwide flood. And so God sends this massive flood, a, a flood that when you put chapter 8 and chapter 9 together, it, we realize it lasted for 371 days. It lasts about a year. And, and in this flood, God brings judgment upon these unbelieving people, this unbelieving world. Verse 21 says, all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. All of it. Dead. But God spared Noah and his family and all the animals that, on, that were on the ark, not because they were better than the others, but because God had graciously chosen to save them. Now this is, a, this is one of these memorable stories. There, there's, it makes sense that this was the popular vote getter when I asked you to submit ideas, suggestions about your favorite Bible story. Everybody knows this story. Some of you have even been to the um, Ark Encounter in, in Kentucky and, and you've seen that, that it's a massive, massive Ark. But here's the thing. What should we learn from this story? What, what should you walk away with this morning? Not, not just the idea that, wow, that was a big ark. What should you leave here with? The ark is a picture. It's a picture that is meant to teach us three very important spiritual truths. All of them begin with the letter S. Number one, the ark is a picture of our Savior. It's a picture of Jesus. If you were here for our study of Revelation, you, you remember that over and over and over, we heard the judgment day is coming. I don't know if it will come in our lifetime. I don't know if it'll come a thousand years from now. I don't know, you don't know, no one knows. But it is coming. It is coming. And the Bible tells us that it will come like a thief in the night. Children, that means it will come when you, when you don't expect it. But it will come. 
Now, it saddens me that a lot of people don't care about that. A lot of people in this world couldn't care less that a day of judgment is coming. There are even people in churches who don't care that a day of judgment is coming. What was the only way to be saved from this terrible flood? Children, it was to be inside the ark, right? That's the only way. That was the only way to escape this judgment. What is the only way to escape the judgment that that one day will come upon this world? It is to be in Christ. It is to be in him. It is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It is to believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the judgment. That is the only way. Children, do you know how many doors there were on the ark? There was one. One door. That was the only way to safety. There's only one way to be saved from the judgment that is coming. Despite what this world may tell you about many paths leading to heaven, there's only one way, and that is through faith in Jesus. Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, I am the door. I am the door to safety. If anyone enters through me, Jesus says, he will be saved. Acts chapter 4 Peter says these famous words, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Children and young people and adults, there's only one way to escape this judgment, and that is through Jesus. He is the ultimate and final ark. He is the only one who can shelter you from the flood of God's wrath that is coming upon this world one day. Your family can't save you. Your church membership can't save you. Your baptism can't save you. Your friends can't save you. Your Bible reading program can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. You must look to him. You must embrace him. Imagine, if you will, the absolute terror that struck the people in Noah's day when the waters started rising. They had had heard of God's coming judgment. They had heard that the ark was the only place of safety, but they laughed at Noah. They mocked Noah. What a fool this guy is. What a waste of time. What a waste of resources. They mocked him. But eventually Noah went into that ark and the door was shut and the waters came and the waters rose and there were no second chances. Imagine how you'd feel at that point. Imagine the terror that would overcome you. Friend, don't let that be you. Don't let the day of judgment come upon you. 
Don't laugh at the message. Don't mock the message. Don't ignore the message until it's too late. Run to Christ and the Bible says you will be saved. The ark is a picture of our Savior. Secondly, the ark is a picture of our security. I just love the end of verse 16. I read it just a moment ago, but notice it again. And the Lord shut him in. The picture is that Noah and his family are safe. They are secure. God's going to preserve Noah and his family to the very end. And, And God has done this for all true believers. He has shut us in. He has secured us. I love the way the Bible describes it. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 1. He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Christian, God has shut you in. Your salvation is secure. Jesus isn't going to to lose his grip on you. He's not going to let you fall away from him. He's not going to allow you and let you be swallowed up in in the judgment. He will keep you in his love. He will bring you to your heavenly inheritance. He has shut you in. Rest in that. Rejoice in that. The ark is a picture of our Savior. It's a picture of our security. Finally, it's a picture of our service. Noah knew that a flood was coming. Noah knew that God's judgment was coming. But he didn't, I don't believe, just stand around and build the ark and not say anything. Did you know that in 2 Peter chapter 2, Noah is called a preacher of righteousness? Noah was a preacher. While he was building the ark, He was warning people. He was calling people to repentance. He was calling people to to turn to the one true God to avoid the judgment that was coming. Most experts believe that it took 50 to 75 years to build the ark. He had no power tools. He had no computer program to help him with the design. This would have been a, a massive undertaking. But all during this time, he's building the ark, you can picture Noah preaching. A message of judgment upon the unrepentant. We we don't read any conversion stories. He probably wouldn't have been asked to, to write a book about church growth or evangelism techniques. No one responded. But he was a faithful preacher. We too know that a flood is coming. It's coming. Again, we don't know when, but but we do know it's coming. This flood, this flood that is coming one day will, will make Noah's flood look like a puddle of water. It will be eternal condemnation upon those who do not turn to Jesus Christ. 
We can't stay silent. We can't keep our mouths shut. We can't be hyper-Calvinists and say, well, God will save who he's going to save. We are the instruments, aren't we? Children, you are his instruments at school this week. We are his instruments in this world to, to tell people there is a flood coming, there is a judgment coming, and Jesus is the only way to be saved. We have a calling. We can't stay silent. We must serve and love others by warning them. Now, like Noah, we may not see a whole lot of fruit to our labor, but that's not our job anyway. That's God's work. Our job is to be faithful. To be faithful in warning people and in telling them that when that judgment comes, they can be safe in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, aren't you thankful that you are safe? Aren't you thankful that God has shut you in? Aren't you thankful that because of God's grace to you and because of Jesus, you will never face this terrible flood of God's wrath? This is a wonderful story true story. It's a wonderful account and a wonderful reminder that we are safe only in Christ. Look to him. Believe in him. Live for him. Take seriously the calling that he's given all of us to tell others that Jesus Christ saves. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this account of a horrific event that happened in history. Lord, it is a reminder to us today, thousands of years later, that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of this, that Jesus is the one who rescues us, that Jesus is the one who saves us. We thank you that by your grace you have opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel that we have been brought by your spirit to faith in Christ. We thank you that you have shut us in. Help us, Lord, to, to take seriously our calling to serve our world by telling them about Jesus. Pray for our parents here this morning with young children that they would count it their, their greatest priority to tell their children about Jesus to point them to him that we might find our safety, our security, and our salvation in him. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together number 245. Number 245, great is thy faithfulness. Familiar hymn that reminds us that the Lord's promises are always true. We're gonna sing all three stanzas and let's stand as we sing.
We will sing 404, the church's one foundation is our doxology. We'll sing stanzas one and five. Uh, tonight we are continuing our series on out of context Bible verses. We're looking tonight at Romans 13. Uh, the question is, do we always have to obey the government? Do we always have to obey the governing authorities? We're going to look at that tonight uh, from Romans and from the rest of Scripture. So I invite you to be here tonight for that. Uh, just a reminder that when the doxology is done, uh, we're going to ask uh, all of you to be seated. Uh, all the kids up through sixth grade will go to Sunday school. Christine, kids are singing, right? So children's singing will still take place. Kids are singing here next Sunday in the service. So they'll be practicing this morning. Uh, all the kids and all, everybody up through sixth grade will go. And then the rest of us will stay here. And I'll just ask you to be seated after we sing the doxology. But before we sing that, uh, the God who has saved us by his son, the God who has given us his spirit, the God who has promised us eternal life, the God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you, gives you his words of blessing. And so receive that blessing now. The love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. <laughs> 